Hi, I'm Bernard Fraser, and you're listening to The Essence of Cool. On this very special episode, we catch up with one of the most interesting, smart, and gifted new artists in Canadian music, the uber-talented Vicky Brittle. Apart from her engaging songwriting, distinctive voice, and massive Spotify numbers, Vicky is a fierce advocate for mental health. We talk about her skyrocketing career, her record deal, and her collaborations with country star Kelly Prescott, Magic's Alex Tanis, and songwriting superstar Haley Jean Penner. Yes, daughter of children's entertainer Fred Penner. We also talk about one of her musical heroes, the legendary Paul Simon. So fasten your seatbelts, and let's get started. But tonight I think I'm gonna fall into the healing So here I go, crying on the kitchen floor Know that I've been here before, but this time feels like fire coursing through my veins And I know nothing's gonna be the same No use of waiting on change, cause I'm already in Vicki Brittle, welcome to The Essence of Cool. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I should say hi, neighbor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally, hi, neighbor. <laughs> um, first of all, congratulations. I saw an engagement announcement. Tell me about it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yes, uh, I just got engaged. Um, Chet, yeah, Chad and I have been together for uh, four and a half years now. And uh, yeah, we're we're engaged and doing a backyard little wedding and keeping it down low and yeah, oh, cool. it'll, be, it'll just be a, a beautiful little little joining of life. It's nice. Oh, it sounds wonderful. And when's that going to be? Next summer. Oh, okay, awesome. Twenty twenty three. Look out. Yeah. <laughs> How does he feel with uh, so you being on the road or traveling to California or Toronto to record and stuff? And- mm, actually, I, I, I love this. I, I've never been asked this before, but um, I, I feel very, very lucky for the position that I'm in because I've found like not only my best friend, but I found someone who really kind of opened a cage door for me, like just said, fly, you know, do your thing. And he is so happy being here at the homestead. And it's really a yin and a yang. It's Mm -hmm. kind of the thing that's really made me realize um, it's, it's the opposites attract cliche, but in a very realistic format. So when I'm gone and doing all of my crazy, busy brain stuff, which I'm still busy brained when I'm at home. Like he's just a very serene down to earth person all the time. So, so it really grounds me. And um, that's a really beautiful part of it is just him being so encouraging for me to be busy and do all these energetic things because that's who I am and who he is, is really just a home person and loving that. So it it just works out. It works so beautifully. (laughs) We, We love that part of each other. Yeah, I, I have to say, Karen and I are the same. We are polar yeah. opposites. We're I'm yep. into her yang, and it does. It just seems to work out. It just seems to mesh. Mm-hmm. You know where my failings are, she feels in, and I feel in, and her failings, and we just seem to help each other down the road. Yeah, it's it's just a really cool thing to be able to hold your best friend's hand for forever. You know, that's that's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
You describe your music as folk, rock, singer, songwriter with a splash of soul. <laughs> and I hardly agree, particularly to the last one. Where do each of those come from? I think it's a lot of just naturally what comes out of the vibe that I present to my music. I've kind of always struggled with, I think a lot of artists do with what genre are you? <laughs> you know, I've, I've really had that uh, like a classic hard time putting myself in a very specific lane just because I take inspiration from so many things, whether that be sonically or lyrically or phrasing wise, as you know, the two artists we're going to be talking about later. Like it, it really comes from so many places that I think it's the respect to each genre that I take the most inspiration to. I wouldn't want to leave folk or soul out, you know, they, they are complete polar opposites in a way, but like one of my latest releases, Sweet Melody is a lot of folk and a lot of soul R&B music. You know, it's, I think it just comes from a place of wanting to highlight where the most inspiration comes from. Yeah. Are you consciously thinking about those genres as you're writing? Are you thinking to yourself, you know, I should add a little more soul element to this, or I should add a little more folk to this, or or is it just something that comes out of you naturally? No, I I never end up thinking about that stuff. I and that's where my belief of being a vessel really comes in, is just whatever comes through me comes through me at the time. And I kind of just let that happen and review it after and if it's great it's great and if it was just channeling through me for some other reason that's amazing as well because that's the journey right but mm -hmm. I think yeah I think it's really I think it's just really about letting the words and everything happen and the sonics happen and whether that's sitting on the couch with a glass of wine late at night or waking up early in the morning because you woke up with an idea it's more just letting it come as it comes and then reviewing it after and saying, wow, I, this is a very soulful R&B song or wow, my folky side very much so came through or, you know, my rocky side really came through on this. And I think uh, when it comes to reviewing afterwards, for me, it has a lot to do with how I'm feeling in the moment. So it's almost like I haven't even written some of those songs. I'm just reviewing it now as me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I do feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's it's definitely never a forced channel of genre. And I right. think that wraps right back around to the fact that I, I have always struggled with saying I'm one genre because yeah. the inspiration just comes from everywhere. And I just right. kind of write with what pours out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, I... I find myself, my better songs are when I'm acting as that conduit um, mm -hmm. and it just flows through you and comes out. And sometimes I end up looking at it and not knowing what the hell it is until, <laughs> you know, like six months later. Oh, that's what that's about. Does that happen to you? Oh, yes. I actually, um, I have a song coming out by the end of the year. Um, no date announced or anything, but I wrote it a couple years ago, literally during my first panic attack, like oh. thinking, thinking I had to go to the hospital. And it was the first time I ever experienced like that intense chest feeling. And oh my gosh, it's just a very crazy experience all in one, you know, but as that was wrapping up, I literally started to write this song and I had 
no clue what I was doing or what it was for. It just kind of poured out of me at the time. I went with it. And now years later, <laughs> that song is still teaching me things. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's called 20 something. And I've played it a couple times live, but it's the statement that no one knows what they're doing at 20 something. Yeah. And the more I settle into my twenties, this song keeps me going through my 20s and that 22 and i'm now 26 i never would have known that's why i wrote that song would be to support myself it's just it's just the most beautiful thing how music works (laughs) that's true um i wasn't going to touch on it but since you brought it up but let's briefly talk about mental health how important is it uh to be as as an artist to be talking to the public about opening up about mental health? I think it's one of the most important things that we can do, not like for our soul, body, and mind, not just as artists, but as human beings. Um, and I think we're we're just in a position where we're vulnerable enough people that um, we have this ability to speak about it. And I think that's part of our power as artists and musicians is to open up about that and speak about it which is why I finally decided on my most recent album to put the song Little Black Dog which is a song that describes your depression and anxiety as being in the form of a literal little black dog that just follows you around and it's like excited to see you and then you just get used to it and you take it for walks and you know it's it's a very it's a metaphorical, vulnerable place. And I just realize how universal those feelings are. Yeah. And it's like, you can't, it's the elephant in the room feeling if you don't talk about it. And I just think it's so much more healthy to address it. Cause it's a, you know, it, it happens. Like you're, you're supposed to talk about those things and I'm not someone to stray away from those feelings and I think it helps other people sometimes that are in a box with those feelings or are made to feel like they should be in a box with those feelings. When they hear other people talk about it, it can be very freeing. Yeah. So if, if anything, if me being open about it allows someone else along the way to realize that it's not something to be as scared of, then maybe that's what the point is, you know? Yeah. And really commendable of artists like you and also you know, people like Justin Bieber to really be vocal about that. And uh, I was um, Justin Bieber was the topic of a conversation I had with uh, Ivan Doris, Chuck, Men Without Hats uh, a couple mm. of weeks ago. And what was interesting during my research is to see him open up about not only open up about mental health, but to acknowledge that sometimes in your career, you just need to make a full stop and honor that and try to dig into that and block Mm -hmm. the the outside world for a while until you sort it out. Yeah, that's part of the journey too. And I think that realization and the respect for that comes the older you get, or sometimes the more you go through. Um, It, you really do realize that in a balanced place with body, mind, and soul comes a lot from being feeling secure with your mental health. 
in a realistic way and the balance that's going on in your mind, you know? So, um, sometimes that literally needs a complete stop of the outside world because the outside world is so loud and it's so easy to collect the energy of the outside world and feel everything that's going on. And sometimes as an artist, especially that can start influencing what you're actually pouring out on paper or putting into, you know, your garage band or your phone or or whatever. It can highly influence that if it's getting too loud, because naturally I feel like artists just have really open ears and we hear a lot more and feel a lot more than some other people. And I I think that sometimes we just realize the only way to shut that off and center back to where we can be most honest with ourselves and what we love to do, like our music is to completely take a rest from the outside world and listen to the inside world, which is just as big. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. And kudos to your generation. And I I hope that doesn't come across as being ageist, but I recognize (laughs) that there is, there's a huge, there's a huge distinction between how people of the more recent generation deal with mental health in a very open honest and um organic way whereas Mm. my generation we were told to suck it up you know just move ahead and how Mm. damaging is that you know but it's Mm. that's all we knew growing up is oh i just gotta you know forget the feelings i just gotta suck it up and plow ahead but in the meantime it's killing you Right. Mm-hmm. right. So. And I think that relates to so many things in the world, like the generational change of it that comes down to, you know, there's so many things that this generation is allowed and feels they can be more open with that we still have so much more work to do with. Yeah. But if you look back, it's changed so much, you know, for example, like sexual orientation or political views, you could never talk about those things. And now we're moving into an age where (laughs) the young people are so free and spirited that there's no way to quiet them. Right. And I think that's actually a very beautiful thing. (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. I'm with you. Back to music. Um, Though you and I live pretty close together, um, I actually didn't become aware of you until uh, my colleagues and I were booking our FemVox series, and we reached out to Kelly Prescott, and we had instituted something new in the series, which was sort of a mentor-mentee thing, and she selected you as as her mentee. Um, And for those who don't know, uh, Kelly, of course, is the daughter of Tracy Brown and Randall Prescott, originally of Family Brown, who are country music royalty here in Canada and even in the States and have had, you know, won awards back to the 70s. How did you hook up with Kelly? Kelly's been a friend for a very long time. Um, We are connected through mutual friends and the music world. Uh, The way that many small towns work or, you know, tight knit communities, the Ottawa Valley music community is also though it seems so large it is so small and we we all know each other and (laughs) and we you know we all kind of see each other once in a while and uh kelly and i actually have um close mutual friends though so we've known each other for many years and we've written together before the fembox series and um yeah she's just 
such a wonderful human being and such a talented songwriter. And what does she bring to your songwriting when you when you work with her, when you co-write with her? Um, what is it that she's bringing to you and, and opening up your musical world? Mm, I think it is so tough to find someone that almost acts as like, you're literally one vessel instead of two separate vessels writing in a room. Mm-hmm. That is so, so, so rare to find. And I think because Kelly and I have this beautiful similarity of goofiness and it's put to use when we're in a room and we just love being together because of that, um, it does something very open and there's a flow that comes through that isn't accessed a lot of times with whether you're meeting another co-writer for the first time or whether it's because it's over technology, what whatever that block may be, sometimes that's there. And there's no matter what the circumstances, there's no block with Kelly at all. And I think she opens that with me. So it's just a complete um, honest songwriting session with her. Yeah. And what is yeah. it about her writing that you admire? Oh my gosh. A lot of things. But I think the evolution is one of them and the storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, l- like chronologically, when you know Kelly, her early songs dated all the way till now. It's just so cool to watch that evolve and listen to the storytelling because al- all of it is real. Mm-hmm. It's all from her the bottom of her heart. And it's the lyrics are events that have happened in her life. And that's the kind of songwriter that inspires me to keep just opening my journal and turning my journal entry into a song instead of digging for something that just rhymes or reasons, you know, it's, um, again, it's just opening that vulnerable space that artists can talk about that people can listen to and hopefully gain some sort of comfort from. And Kelly's music does that for me. And I'm so inspired by that. Yeah. She's one of those people who, you know, when you're from a little town, like we are, um, you follow on, on uh, social media and you get a real excite sense of excitement because you yes. see her, she's in LA or she's in Nashville or she's in Toronto. And now I see you doing that. And it's like, Oh, yeah. is this ever cool? Right. <laughs> Does it, do you feel that you, you're really taking flight? Yeah. I think I'm just kind of going with the flow. I, I feel like I've been on cloud nine for a while now. And Mm -hmm. I think that's also being at a more balanced place in my life right now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of reflecting in my career. And, you know, it also comes down to the, that act of manifestation and being patient and Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I feel like I'm, I'm starting to flap the wings for sure. (laughs) It certainly seems that way from an outsider's point of view, you know, watching you on social media and you're, you're here and there and everywhere and you're playing blues fest and playing this and playing that. And it's just, it's really, I'm so excited for you. I mean, I, I think you're on the, I think you're on the cusp of something really quite remarkable. So. um, Thank you so much. I, I want to talk to you about your voice.
Yeah. Because it's such a, <laughs> an easily identifiable voice. It has such unusual, cool character. Um, you know, you're one of those few voices that you hear on the radio and you know instantly it's you. You know, which is, I mean, what a calling card. Um, when did you first realize that you had a really special gift? <laughs> what a what a tough question. <laughs> um, I think sometimes I actually still struggle with that, Vern. Really? I, I think that circles back to the vessel where I, I think I have the gift of sharing. Right. That's that's the gift I see myself having, and I. It's so cool where I can look back at videos of myself or songwriting sessions and my vocals have gone through an extreme evolution. And oh, who's to say, yeah, and who's to say they won't again, you know, like right. that's always because vo vocals mature and everything like that. But because I was raised Royal Conservatory and I loved doing Broadway and I really did when I was younger think that I was going to be a Broadway star. Oh, wow. I, <laughs> yes, like it was the opposite dream for me in a sense. Right. But that goes to stand for the fact that I've never, ever separated from music. It's always been music, whether it be the Broadway stream or the music independent stream or the label stream, you know. Right. But, but I think this evolution of my voice I've gotten very comfortable with, I'll say. And I do feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. I d and that feels special. Right. That feels like it's a gift on its own. So I don't know sometimes, sometimes I don't know what I'm necessarily doing right, but I'm just letting everything flow through me. And that's what you're hearing. <laughs> well, uh, kudos to you for sort of maintaining that sort of organic approach, because I would think that in knowing a little bit about Royal Conservatory, having you know had a, a vocal coach who was Royal Conservatory and taking piano back in the early days, uh, that they kind of try to iron out the uniqueness in you. They try to get rid of that stuff. So how did you preserve it through the Royal Conservatory process? So I think that's actually where it's kind of neat to talk about the vocal evolution journey for me. So I actually started in Royal Conservatory okay. and I was doing things like um, just extracurricular stuff for um, singing, like I'd sing for the old age home or do the junior B hockey singing O Canada, okay. anything that I could get into, I was doing. Um, and then I started Royal Conservatory and I did that for five years, five or six years. And it's so funny that you mentioned the ironing out of the uniqueness, because I think that's where me taking so long to find my uniqueness comes in. Oh, yes. So I think I was so infatuated with the Royal Conservatory world because I really did dream of, you know, the Broadway and the wicked lifestyle and right. all of this stuff, <laughs> you know, the Mamma Mia lifestyle. I, I dreamed of all of that. And so because of being influenced so highly by that, naturally, that's what I was trying to be as a vocalist. Right. So I never actually found my uniqueness until I started going to a music school. 
and not being in Royal Conservatory and starting to play actual live shows and thinking, holy, holy crap, what, what did I just do? <laughs> you know, like I was finding my own voice, which is when I realized to just let everything go and let it go through me. Right. Um, so I was almost working much more to be a vocalist rather than just let my vessel open up and share share what I can and what I meant to share. Right. Um, I think I was young and I was restricting that until I ended um, very restrictive singing, you know, Interesting. Yeah. When did you first realize that music was going to be a big part of your life? Oh, I think I, <laughs> I think I knew from the beginning, yeah. like right from the start, all of my home videos of me as a child are like, we will, we will, gaga, you know, <laughs> like, it's very, it's very visible from the start that music was the love of my life. It was the thing that lit me up. And I have a musical generational pass down. My parents are musical. My grandparents were musical. Mm-hmm. They're who taught me how to play piano. Um, so I, I feel like it naturally has been part of my world since I was out of the womb in a way. Yeah. <laughs> but because of the fact that, like you said, I have just the most supportive, beautiful parents in the world that will do anything to just let me dream. Yeah. It's the coolest thing in the world. And they believed in me before I even had to ask anyone else to believe in me. So that really helped me get to where I am right now. Um, whether that be in a very realistic speaking way, them helping pay for my first album or whether it be simple things like just giving me a ride to music lessons. Um, It ties into a lot of things, but my parents have always, always just wanted to see me succeed in my dream. And it's really helped me get to where I am right now. Not every singer is naturally a songwriter. How did songwriting uh, come to you? What was it that started that process? Yeah, I think kind of tying back into actually what I said before about um, taking so many years with Royal Conservatory and not really finding that uniqueness in my voice. I think I actually was already exploring my songwriting in those years. I think I've always experimented with songwriting before I found this fast-paced, comfy phrasing for myself that I enjoy in some of my more folk songs. Mm. And that didn't come until later when I found my uniqueness in my vocals that I just allowed the cracks to come and not force those things to be held back and just let my natural almost speaking voice come through. But yeah, it just, it comes back around to just the the uniqueness in the vocals being something that also came through in my songwriting when that evolved. I think when I started to really just let myself go and say whatever comes through comes through that also was affected in my songwriting Mm -hmm. and that's when i really started opening my journal and just singing that instead and i really noticed everything evolved in that way so i explored my songwriting for many years before um when i was doing more soft vocal and falsetto singing and 
And I loved the very soft stuff, which I'll always love and I'll probably release again. Mm. Um, but that's what I loved exploring in a songwriting sense. And of course, that affects sometimes the topic you're songwriting about. And so when you open this openness of whatever comes through, comes through, it's really neat to see like sonically what can match with lyrics as well. Mm. So that's what it just develops the songwriting and the vocal approach in a really, really interesting way. So just on that subject, I want to talk to you about collaboration in a second, but on the, on the topic yeah. of just pure songwriting, what is the normal, if there is, Vicki Brittle songwriting process? You do a Paul Simon, you get up every morning at nine o'clock and you start writing or you're waiting for the muse or how, how does it work for you? I think for me, it comes when it comes. Right. Like I, I kind of struggle with this 24 seven songwriting disease, right? Where yeah. <laughs> uh, I, a lot of songwriters and sonic people have this where it can come when you're literally just about to fall asleep at night. It can come in the middle of the day. I could see something in the sky that inspires me. And that's why, like many people, my notes is just a catastrophe on my phone. Right. It is a billion song ideas. Oh, yeah. I right? Know. You know, yep. Exactly. You know how it goes. But I, I, yeah, I just, I allow everything to inspire me now where I don't know if I always used to do that. Hmm. So, so now being so open and honest and just ready to share anything that I feel needs to be shared and listened to, I just allow that to be open all the time. And I think that's how I'm going to find those things easiest is yeah. if I, if I'm constantly open and just taking inspiration from everywhere. So all times of the day, 24 <laughs> <Yeah>. seven. <laughs> now, Talk to me a little bit about collaboration. Um, you know, I've done a fair amount of collaboration over my years as a songwriter. Uh, you talked about collaborating with Kelly. Um, your most recent song, Come Home, was co-written with Alex Tannis of Magic, who's well-known around the world for Rude, of course. And we're going to talk about Haley Jean Penner. You've been collaborating with her. What is... How do you approach a collab? Do you are you just sort of open to collaborating with anybody, or are you looking for specific things in in a co-writer? I'm kind of in this very open place right now, where I'm just allowing anything to flow through. And I think if there's an opportunity and a connection that's been brought forward, I'm just so willing to take it right now. And you, you know, it's just a very classic thing as in you never know if you don't try. Right. Um, so sometimes the most beautiful things can come out of what you just never expect. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think a lot of special collaborations do end up coming in is mm -hmm. just being open to taking those chances of writing with anyone. I think I've, I've co-written a lot in the last year, two years, especially during the pandemic, I just allowed myself to put this wall down of being scared of technology. And <laughs> I co-wrote my butt off over Zoom and met so many cool people. And collaboration comes down to not only writing a song, but you're meeting these new beautiful people that yeah. you would never, ever, ever meet unless you were writing a song together which is the coolest craziest thing for sure so that's like such 
such a special opportunity in itself, which I think is the biggest thing I love about collaboration is even if it's just an experience of getting better at songwriting and it never ends up being a cut or anything like that, which as you know, a lot of the time it doesn't, you're, you're developing friendships and you're developing these beautiful skills to be able to meet people all around the world when you travel there. And it's Mm -hmm. just, it's a really, really cool thing to collaborate with people. I, I really adore it. Yeah. Oh, I'm with you there. Um, I mean, number one, to get to meet and work with people that you didn't know much about or knew about, but wanted to meet and right? Yo, for <laughs> sure, for sure. Um, but there's also, I'm always curious about other people's perspectives on songwriting, because the coolest thing to me is to sit down and write with somebody and that that song become that the sum of that song becomes greater than its parts, you know, because um, you're reaching out or opening yourself up in a very sort of vulnerable way too, uh, to other people's opinions. And they're offering suggestions on taking a song in directions you would never think of. That I find fascinating. Uh, you know, I, I, my first uh, Church of Trees album uh, was written with Felicity DeCarl, uh, whose uncle is uh, Russell DeCarl of Perry Oyster. And I said, I just threw caution to the wind. I'd never done this before, but I said, I'm going to write the music and I want you to write all the top lines, right? You write the melody, you write the lyrics. I'll have nothing to do with it. I might make a suggestion here and there, but, and so I just opened myself up and I was so blown away because everything she came up with, number one was beautiful. And number two, I never would have thought of in a million years. (laughs) Do you find that? (laughs) Oh yes. Yeah. It's, it's, One of the craziest parts of co-writing and collaborating, I think, is you end up subconsciously taking inspiration from those people because it's just how human design works is we all think differently and feel differently and we're all different auras and we move differently. And that's a beautiful part of what works into a song in the end of it. And I think collaborating allows the space of a song to not only have one vessel in it, there's multiple. And that is so cool and powerful because like you said, your brain doesn't work like theirs. So they are naturally going to present their themselves differently in a song than you would, which is the absolute coolest thing, which is why some of the greatest modern songs especially are these big big collaborations with many artists is because you're getting so many tastes of different vibes and different brain works Mm. all at once which is the coolest thing (laughs) do you get involved in the so-called sort of nashville writing sessions where you've got eight or ten people sitting around a table uh offering whatever You know, one person's there because they write great hooks. One person's there because they know how to do a turnaround, et cetera, et cetera. Have you worked that way? No, I I have not. And I'm curious too, but I think there is also um, tying in with the collaborative part. I think there is also industry-wise speaking, a really really hard approach when it does come to too many people in a room 
because naturally there's going to be stronger personalities than others. So unless it's designated what is happening before, it can be a very hard task. And I think that's why I actually would love to experience it because that seems like a very powerful learning experience for artists to be able to patience yourself and take in all of these different brain works, as we say, you know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's, that's what it comes down to again, is the fact that I'm not going to say what they're going to say, or they're not going to say what I'm going to say. And I think it almost as a very energetic person, it might overwhelm me a little bit to think of 10 people in a room (laughs) writing writing one song, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And often I think in those cases, the artist sort of takes a back seat because (laughs) you're in a room with some really high powered songwriters who know their shit. Right. And so you can be intimidated and either number one, not want to, sort of fully participate or fully in, in, in indulge because of that, or you kind of get sent to the back of the room because they're in the know, you know? Yeah, there's a natural, um, I mean, de- I've definitely written in songwriter circles, um, just not in Nashville style, because Nashville style can be very particular with that, where I think the stronger people come out ahead. Yeah. and that. Um, is actually a very good experience for the ego when it comes to being in Nashville songwriting. I think that's actually a really powerful thing if you're looking to be in that part of the industry where you're constantly songwriting. Mm -hmm. But I think that's actually a really cool thing about being able to do songwriting circles all over the world in different styles. I found myself in writing rooms for SoCan virtually where it's a two line for two line for two line kind of scenario. Right. 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 So every, it's very cool. The approach that you can take in all of these different songwriting circles. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody manages the songwriting process differently. Uh, I have a friend and you may know her, Selena Martin, who was originally from Pakenham around the corner from us uh, and is now living in the South of France. So pardon me, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but she's a, she's a brilliant songwriter who's worked with you and Rio statics and uh, uh, Kurt Swinghammer, you name it. I'm some pretty heavyweights, but she takes, she'll write a song and she'll full, freely admit that it can take like one to two years for her to finish a song because what she does mm-hmm. is she'll write she'll write sort of the framework of, of a song and then she'll take months to sort of uh, break it all down and rearrange it in multiple ways l- always looking for the most interesting way to put that together is that something that you do as well yeah definitely i think that's actually why i'm at this point of taking some time in between releasing music because I'm experimenting like the strongest, most powerful feelings that can come through in some of these songs. Yeah. Um, And I think that feelings develop more strongly. The more you can think about something sometimes, Um, sometimes you still have to, like I said, I'm most of the time when I'm writing a song it's me taking something from my journaling whether that's my mental journaling or my actual journal and sometimes when I've written that journal entry it is very dramatic and (laughs) you know so it's it's to compose those things right and and turn it into what can be the most powerful and sometimes if you rush that process you're not allowing yourself to actually express yourself in the most full way 
And my biggest fear, like many other artists, is looking back on songs sometimes and saying, huh, I definitely could have said that instead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I contend that the songwriting process never ends. You have to sometimes impose a stop just to say, (laughs) okay, it's good enough. And let's, you know, let's cut it and let's put it on the album. But yeah, like you, I mean, a couple of years down the road after releasing something, I'll listen to it, a song and think I should have done this or maybe I should have tried this before. Mm. But, you know, I guess that's, you know, we can do remixes, can't we? We can. can (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that definitely comes down to just the natural human being self-judgment right i think sometimes artists just always struggle with feeling like something is never done so for Mm -hmm. myself i've kind of learned this the feeling that i get more when a song is finished rather than that actual brain power saying this song is done i kind of more get a feeling where it's wow i i i want people to hear this okay this so, is the point where I want people to hear something. So it's more emotional than it is intellectual. Yeah, definitely because because I feel like when I'm editing my music, wrapping back to the fact that it can actually sometimes the most powerful stuff can take months. Yeah. Where y- you just learn to exercise absolutely everything in those months and then when the intellectual can step aside and you're working in this sonic space and you've kind of smoothed everything out with a butter knife. There's a certain feeling eventually that does come where whether it's an excitement or a settledness, there is something that speaks to me in my own music when I feel like it is quote unquote finished. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very cool part of the process too is learning learning how to decipher that yeah so i lady don't go crazy it's only love you find another baby and you're much smarter than hanging your head down low said i'll pass you a cheap pack of cigarettes a But how do you approach the producing of a song? When when do you know that you want somebody to come in and take over sort of the the grand vision? And when do you know it's just, it's up to you? Mm. Yeah, that's cool too, because that's really evolved for me, um, especially in my 20s. I've learned to kind of take a step back when I'm ready for it instead of being so independent with everything. Mm-hmm. I am just such an independent person in a lot of alleys in my life. And I think that music is one that it took me a little while to find people that I just absolutely love working with that I can step back fully when the time is ready. And um, Colin Carnegie has been one of those people who produced breakdown and he produced the silver moon album which has its only love on it Mm -hmm. and that's a great example of just even collaborating and knowing when to really take that breath of allowing other people's space to come in and 
It's Only Love is a song for me now that has just its own world on Spotify and it's become this beautiful thing for me. And it's, it's just crazy because I knew when that song was finished for me. And then I said to Colin, as we were working on this album, because it's one of the, it's the single of the album. I said, um, I'd love for you to just put your touch on this, whatever that is. I'm ready to kind of, take a step back from my own music and let someone sprinkle on it. And that was so cool for me to be ready for. And the reason that song is what it is. And the reason that album is what it is, is because I allowed that to happen. Right. So that for me just shows how powerful that experience can be in itself when knowing that, okay, I've done what my purpose is with this channel and I'm going to let another vessel kind of be here and see if anything else needs to come through before we share it with a lot of years, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I commend you on being able to make that decision because so many artists are reluctant to do that because you have a vision of what the song is, you know, and to divorce yourself of that and let somebody else take control is a Mm. big step. Yeah. And I can be very stubborn too with it. Sometimes like my, my latest single, um, which is produced and recorded mostly vocally by Arnold Lanny is, um, like I'm so stubborn sometimes with what my vision is before that process is ready. Mm -hmm. So that is something to honor as well is even though I do allow that process to come eventually where I'm ready to step back, Sometimes it does still take a lot for me to be fully ready with my own decisions sonically where I'm fully comfortable and then ready to let that happen. And it takes so much trust too. It's yeah. it's the crazy, it's the craziest thing. It's it's cool, you know. Talk to me about working with Arnie. I mean, Arnie is a veritable Canadian institution, Frozen Ghost, Sheriff. Um, you know, we, we know his songs. Um, he's sort of embed, embedded in the Canadian consciousness. What is it like working with him? <laughs> it's a dream. Yeah. I mean, yeah, working with Arn is kind of a big part of my development right now, actually. I'd say it's kind of opened me to be very powerful in my vocal again and not be holding back. And I, I learned so much from him in a very small amount of time. And um, his brother, actually, Rob Lanny, is my manager. And so, owns your record label, too. Yes, and owns my record <laughs> label, <laughs> Coalition Music. Um, yeah, so it's it's been a really beautiful kind of family experience that way. Not a lot of people go to work with Arn, so... it's kind of just like having an uncle, you know, it's the coolest experience and his knowledge with the industry that dates so many years back, like it's literally generational and he's experienced so many shifts in the industry and changes, whether that be how the finances are worked, whether that be how touring works, how managing works, everything's changed. And so it's really, really cool to be able to sit down and talk with someone who's actually experienced all of that. I think, I think it kind of wraps back around to allowing me to just be honest with my whole process while I'm there and recording. And it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't, uh, 
do any harm that I'm in the California sun. So I must admit that it definitely, um, it did teach me that experiencing that, um, that channel of making music in another part of the world is a very powerful thing. It's, it's very cool. Yeah. So, so that also was neat. Yeah. I want to talk to you about your, your record deal and coalition in just a second, but I have to slip back to your comment about uh, your song. It's only love over 3 million streams on Spotify. Seriously. I mean, that's, that's what we all dream of, right? (laughs) It's just the craziest thing. It's so beautiful. It's, it's really, it has its own life and, um, I'm a firm believer that when I when I do let go of my music and put it out eventually, it it's it is still mine, but it then it's not, you know, it, it belongs to other people. And I I can't thank other people enough for the life they've given it. It's it's really doing a beautiful thing that I could never ever imagine. And basically, um for, for anyone that's curious, basically what happened is I got placed on a playlist, which is why another thing to mention is, you know, how, how much this playlisting world has changed now. Yeah. Um, playlisting is a huge part of getting a song known, whether that's streams or wherever in which alleyway that you want it to be known video streams, whichever, mm. um, I think that's evolved so much. And for me, um, Germany is a very, very big lover of the folk music and Americana world. They have a lot of artists that sit in that genre and the live, the live music lifestyle there is next level. So beautiful, so respectful. Everybody just wants to be there and dance. It's the coolest thing ever. And, Mm. I got placed on a playlist called Zuhas, which I believe, do not fully quote me, <laughs> I, I, be, I do not speak German yet, <laughs> but I believe it means chill, chill house. Okay. So it's a very chill playlist. And it got placed on that playlist. And believe it or not, like within a month, it just blew up wow. on that playlist. And it was getting placed everywhere else. And I openly will say about 70% of the streams of that song come in from Europe. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, so as, the- a synth, as a synth pop artist, I can, um, I mean, also know very well uh, that Europe is, is a hotbed for oh, uh, all so, kinds of yeah. music, but folk certainly and synth pop. In fact, Germany uh, is known for l- loving folk, loving synth pop and loving metal. <laughs> how disparate a series of genres can you get <laughs> uh, what a beautiful array of people though right yeah for sure um let's talk a little bit about coalition i mean you have something that is in this day and age very rare a record deal how did that come to be about three years ago um i met rob and the coalition family. And I was actually introduced to them by uh, one of my friends named Troy Kokel, who is a phenomenal Canadian artist. 
And he actually had posted my song, It's Only Love, on his Instagram and just given it some love. And I think he said something so powerful along the lines that it was like chocolate with salted caramel. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, yeah, just a really beautiful process of someone believing in me and really putting their all in to, uh, to make sure that I had a good home and Rob ended up being in contact with me. And honestly, I, I fell in love with coalition right away. Um, once I went down and met them, Chad's met the family, um, my fiance and my parents have, you know, we're all a big family and that's the most important thing to me. And the support and the belief that lies there is really next level as well. Um, It's not for me only the fact that I'm with a label and yes, industry-wise that allows me to be in certain lanes and do certain things and have connections and be taught how to make connections. Um, But it also allows me a support system that I really do believe artists need once they're starting to do shows that put you in such vulnerable positions, Um, whether that's because you're in so many bodies and so much energy at once, or whether it's because you're singing raw material that is so honest to you that you just need some support there. It's, Mm. uh, it's really cool to have a support system that you trust and believe in, and you know that they're looking out for your best all the time. And, that's a big part of being with a label now is I always thought that I would be indie. I always thought I'd be independent and it was obvious to me that I wanted to be with coalition, which was very powerful for me to know. There's just a lot of love in that family and, and yeah, they want what's best for their artists, which is a very, very rare, rare occurrence nowadays. Yeah. Uh, I talk a lot with my buddy, Jordan Zadarozny of Blinker the Star uh, who had Blinker had a record deal with AM, uh, with DreamWorks. So they had, you know, they, they were on the tail end of the big major label deals. Uh, yeah. So he got shown the major label treatment. You know, he did uh, uh, AR people, publicity people, marketing people, virtually, you know, there for any need that an artist might have, they would have a team ready to help you with it. Um, What is it like in 2022, you know, now that most of the major labels have gone by the wayside and did so about 20 years ago, um, and a number of indie labels have cropped up, including Coalition. So what do they provide you uh, that you wouldn't normally have as a DIY artist? Mm. They do provide like an amazing ability to create. I think that is a big part of it. There is studio space and an unlimited ability of collaboration because there's connections from all of these artists all over the world. And if you're willing to collaborate and co-write, that is a consistent thing that can happen when you are with a smaller label. Mm-hmm. Um, the outreach is amazing. And that also ties into the fact that they care about your experience and they just want you to feel 
good about your experience and what's best. So I think they bring that to the table. They also bring, of course, the industry ability to book shows and stuff like that. Um, that, that goes, you know, inevitably it would be silly for me to not mention that. Um, and I think, again, the, the support system, which ties into a lot of things, whether that's booking shows and having someone to reach out to people that you might not know. Um, and then that again, ties into things like radio play. Mm-hmm. Um, there's things that are easily accessible compared to how accessible they would be if you were just an independent person. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I openly say that so easily too is because of how long I was independent for and the evolution of opportunities I've had in the years that I've been signed with coalition now compared to the doors that I was able to open as an independent musician. And I think that also speaks in the power of how hard you work. Um, naturally a lot of indie musicians, like even look at Lauren Daigle, she's still an independent musician and she's one of the biggest artists nowadays Mm -hmm. that's indie. Um, so you can get yourself into a very unique position still that way. But I do believe coalition has opened this really amazing door for me that can take a lot longer to achieve. Um, if you don't have people that believe in you as much as coalition believes in me. And that's been a a really beautiful part of it. Yeah. Um, on that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of your two picks of the essence of cool, the legendary Paul Simon. We'll be right back. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you liked and even what you didn't like. Have you got a show or guest idea? Well, drop us a line. Our email addy is info at theessenceofcool.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, we're back with Vicki Brittle on The Essence of Cool, and we're going to talk about somebody who is truly a songwriting legend, Paul Simon. You chose Paul as uh, one of your picks of The Essence of Cool. Paul, let me just run down some quick wiki facts here. 60-plus year uh, career, 12 Grammy Awards, one of them a Lifetime Achievement, uh, five Album of the Year Grammy nominations, um, the most recent one for You're the One in 2001. That's a lot of ones. Um, only one of six artists to have won the Grammy for Album of the Year more than once, which is amazing. Uh, 1998, he entered the Grammy Hall of Fame for Simon and Garfunkel's uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, which Paul wrote, um, and received an Oscar nomination for the Best Original Song for Father and Daughter in 2002. Um, truly music royalty. When did you first start listening to Paul Simon? Oh my gosh. I, I just love Paul Simon. (laughs) He is, uh, I started listening at a very, very young age, probably around, I'm going to say 13, 14. I first discovered Paul Simon. And then I took a natural teenage break when I was listening to a lot more kind of anxious songwriting stuff, (laughs) less storytelling and, uh, refound him in my twenties. Um, and that's just been phenomenal for me. It's been emotional for me, to say the least. 
It's really interesting to find somebody of your generation listening to somebody of that vintage. You know, I would have expected you to, instead of saying Paul Simon was your pick, to maybe pick Billie Eilish or Halsey or Sassy 009 or somebody who's, you know, uh, of your generation. So what is it about his songwriting that really inspires you? I think there's a lot that lies under that question, and I almost find new answers every time I listen to the albums, which is kind of the phenomenal thing with Paul Simon, is you uncover more and more of his uniqueness every time you listen and get into his world, which is so cool. One of the biggest inspirations that lies in Paul Simon is the busyness, uh, whether that be sonically or lyrically, there is a busyness that comes through that I have rarely connected with in other artists. Mm -hmm. And I, I really enjoy that in his music. And I also take a lot of inspiration from it. And there's also the sonic inspiration that comes from him. There's something emotionally that comes through with Paul Simon's music for me, whether it be the you know, the South African recorded drums or whatever essence is coming through the most for me. It's something I feel in my literal soul when I listen to his albums. And there's a space that he creates that I, I dream to create in my music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I think another thing too, that really inspires me is of course the storytelling. Mm. Um, there's not a lot of artists um, anymore, or sorry, there's a smaller percentage of artists now that write in a storytelling format, mm -hmm. um, whether that be uh, a life experience storytelling format or um, just, you know, an experience they saw. But 99.9% .9 of Paul Simon's songs are lived through by yeah. him. Right. And, <laughs> and that is phenomenal to me. Yeah, it's just it's just the craziest, coolest thing. Yeah. And uh, that inspires me completely every time I listen to one of his songs and albums to just tell the truth in my music and really tell the story as it is, because someone's going to relate out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I watched a couple of documentaries of him uh, recently. And in one of them, he said that there was a kind of a, a really abrupt change in the way he approached songwriting. I maybe in around the late seventies, early eighties, uh, he said, cause I mean, I grew up with, uh, well, let me just look at the list here. I grew up with, um, the boxer sounds of silence, bridge over troubled water, mm. Scarborough fair, that sort of thing. All of which he said came out of him in kind of your the way the process you have described where you are really the conduit um it just flows through you and and yeah. he wrote it down but he says that um in the last say 30 40 years he's taken a very sort of more intellectual approach to songwriting where he's really considering every he's considering the concept he's considering every line and how it interworks with every other line and there's a, a sort of almost a painful um approach to, to, to writing. Um, have, has that changed your 
appreciation of what he did, what he does, are the songs he wrote, say, in the 60s and 70s, vastly different for you than the ones he wrote in from the 80s onward? Mm, I think that's actually an admiration that I have for his music. There is a visible and feelable evolution. Right. And I think that also goes to speak for the simple term of growing up. Right. You evolve as a human so many times in your life. And to think that an artist will forever sonically or lyrically write in the same way or compose in the same way, um, that would just kind of be very restrictive of us to think. Right. So there's going to be a natural evolution, even in the greatest of the greats. Right. So I think that's a really powerful thing and a really powerful shift to feel when you're actually exploring the, the underlayer of his music and listening to albums, whether that's chronologically or just hearing a difference in something from the 70s to the 2000s, you know? Right. It, there's there's definitely a difference, but I personally love that evolution. He had mentioned, and maybe this illustrates the the era or the time that he sort of made that change when he wrote Graceland. Mm-hmm. He said that as would have happened in the late 50s or 60s, the title, the the lyric, I'm going to Graceland, Graceland, Memphis, Tennessee, came to him. He'd never been to Graceland. <laughs> and he, so he, he said, I was stymied because I don't know what to write about it because I don't know anything about it. So apparently he hopped on a bus and went to Graceland and just wrote about everything he saw on his way to Graceland. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it basically ties in. I, I, did, <laughs> I took a picture of a, of a quote that he said in, um, in a previous interview because it ties very much so into what you just said, which is phenomenal to me and the South African drums that are actually included in a a lot of the songs of the revised Graceland are, he said that it came by accident and this was in a New York times interview in 86. And he said that it it came by accident. And he said in the summer of 1984, a friend of mine gave me a tape of township jive, the street music of Soweto, South Africa. And he became obsessed and wanted to trace down the roots, even though he had no clue what it was. And right. that's how he ended up there. Wow. Wow. Very it's the cool. exact same thing where that that curiosity is something that just lives in his music, yeah. which is so unique and rare and beautiful. You can almost feel that curiosity and you're experiencing all this stuff with him. Right. He's one of the two, what I would call key ambassadors to world music there's him and peter Mm -hmm. gabriel you know yes and his foray into south african music into brazilian music into gospel um i mean it it opens up so many new avenues for north american listeners we're listening to things that we never would have been exposed to thanks to you know paul and, and and peter why do you think he delved into that process of discovering other musics and trying to incorporate them in his own? I think there's a natural curiosity, but I think it was the love for it. 
Uh, I think in a lot of the things that we hear him say in interviews and stuff like that, it seems like he was so inspired by a lot of these sounds Mm -hmm. that he couldn't not incorporate them. So for him, it was a natural love for the sounds of sonic music that was coming from these places. And he could not work them into what he was doing because it would feel dishonest if he didn't. Yeah. And I think that that's so powerful about the music. And that's why I think there's no fear for him in sharing world music instead of being in one lane. And that's just come through so powerful with him, which is why he's one of the greats in world music. And one of the ambassadors, as you say, because there's no restriction for him. It's there's inspiration and he feels a connection to it and a love for it. And I believe he feels like music is so universal. So that's where it comes into play is we're, we're all in the same world. We're all on the same speck of dust and it's pretty easy, you know, to go from one place to the other and include everybody in this one universal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I had the chance to see him perform live, uh, 19 i'm dating myself here 1978 maybe it was the one trick pony tour and uh seeing him perform was a real treat watching him was like a master class in songwriting you know Mm -hmm. he has as you've pointed out a couple of times he has such a way uh a turn of phrase um and melodically he know he, he knows how to write a hook he knows how to write a great opening line so many of his songs i would think of graceland me and julio 50 ways to live your lover bridge over troubled water mrs robinson you can call me al diamonds on the soles, soles of their shoes i mean the list is endless so how mm-hmm. much of that gorgeous songwriting and it's because he never seems to stop writing great songs uh how much of that is a gift from god and how much of that is just good old-fashioned hard work honing your craft (laughs) i think the hard part about that question is you'd probably have to ask him right (laughs) it's it's so unique for each artist like you just never know and it's so funny because we can always assume um but the reality is is he's probably crafted things that he's, you know, prayed and prayed they would come. A good song would come. And you know, you just never know uh, what someone's personal, true experience has been. But I do think that, you know, as you said, in the early days especially, he spoke strictly for, you know, this this openness and this vessel that he is. And I think that just has a lot to do with that wall breaking is he just kind of let that flow happen, whether that's him strictly making himself write that experience down. Like sometimes I've done, you just have to force yourself to just like journal it because it's such a raw, real feeling or whether that's, you know, whether it's because he's literally genius and just, (laughs) just makes magic with the, the words and things that flow out. Right. I mean, there has to be some of that in there, right? Because the man couldn't so consistently write great songs over the course of 50 years. You know, every year he writes a slew of phenomenal hit songs, right? Whether they get played or not is a different question because it's a completely different era in 2022 than it was in 1976. But yeah, he's so consistent. So there's got to be some element of it's just some gift 
Mm. Yeah. And I think too, like Paul Simon's also talked about in certain interviews, discipline Right, is the discipline of music Mm -hmm. is one of the absolute hardest things that artists can fight with is this discipline of doing what you love, but also needing to create to output. Mm -hmm. So I, I think there is the constant discipline that's become habitual within him to just be there in that presence of the industry and in writing. Mm-hmm. And as well, I'm sure that comes into play because he's been in the industry for so many years and knows when to step back. Yeah, true enough. As we've said, you know, earlier in the interview, it's like people like Justin Bieber who just sometimes nowadays you see these artists just disappear for months. Right. And I think Paul Simon probably developed that ability when he was, you know, exploring this world music and allowing himself to be so honestly in experiences that he was creating with. Mm -hmm. And that, that really shows in his music, I think. And it really shows when he's speaking and the aura that he allows your energy to feel when he's present. It's a very cool thing that that wall is even broken with someone from my generation who's never met him, never seen one of his concerts. And I can still see all of these documentaries and videos and feel amazed at his process with that kind of stuff. Yeah. In a 2018 interview with Alec Baldwin, um, strangely, um, (laughs) when he was in his 20s, he wrote rather quickly and many, oh, right, many of his hits just burst out of him. Um, Now, as we had said before, he really takes the time and mulls over them. He's and he's writing every day. He was, you know, he still, you know, this was 2018. He gets up every morning. He has his coffee, sits down at nine o'clock and he starts writing and he doesn't, you know, finish the day until he's got a song done. Right. But I find that and this is just me, the ones that kind of burst out of you typically are the better songs mm-hmm. the, uh, they just seem to have m- more they're more inspired perhaps than the ones where i have to slave over them are you the same yeah i think that's like the vessel coming into play i think when you're bursting and you just write down what you're writing down i think that's a completely open veil i think i think you're just there's a rare um balance happening in your body that you're just allowing everything to flow out and 90 percent of the time when i sit down and say to myself i'm gonna write a song about this and do this it doesn't it's not gonna turn out how i want it to flow out there's gonna be forced things there's going to be words that i'm gonna end up changing in the end which is also a really beautiful strong process to to develop your songwriting. I think that's an important part of the discipline, Mm -hmm. which is why I think Paul Simon has a habitual discipline if he's still waking up at nine and writing. (laughs) But I I think for me, like perfect example is It's Only Love, my, my only song that has millions of streams is a song that I wrote crying because of a breakup. It's not, it doesn't, um, there's something that doesn't happen with your honesty and vulnerability when you're forcing it. Right. Whatever it's, whatever it is that's not happening, it's just not happening. And it's happening when you're fully open and crying and vulnerable and making a water stained 
piece of paper right. that you that you might not even have to edit at the end because right. sometimes those songs are so real and raw that you're reading them back to yourself thinking how did i even write that yeah, yeah. and that's when i think the vessel's fully open which is why i learned to do I think a lot of my therapy now is just like when I am overwhelmed and crying, I write songs like breakdown right? with Jessica Mitchell, where I literally was crying on the kitchen floor. And that's just me singing what I was doing while I'm having a breakdown. Right. <laughs> it's like the best songs just come out like that, where I, you know, the best songs will never be defined to, to me by numbers or anything like that. It's a sense of, self-happiness that comes through when I'm breaking a layer for myself that allows me to express myself fully and connect with other listeners. And that kind of wraps back around to the fact that that's what I feel when I'm listening to Paul Simon's music, especially with, with lyrics like, you know, like in Graceland, like in the chorus, like losing love is like a window in your heart. Everybody sees you fall apart. Everybody feels the wind blow. Wow. You're like, you're like, ouch, what the heck? <laughs> How did you even come up with that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's unimaginable to be in his vessel of feeling because that's his experience. Right. And that is the most powerful thing about songwriting is when you're honest with it and you're writing what you're experiencing and you're truly being your full self, nobody else in the world can write that because they're never going to feel it the way you do. Yeah. So it's uh, an individual experience. A breakdown is such a great example of that too. And the wonderful thing too is when it's that organic and it's that close to the bone, it's uh, become such a brilliant showcase for your vocals too. Breakdown is just is this perfect demonstration of the brilliant Vicky Brittle vocal. Um, I mean, all of your other songs have that, but there is something that happens when you are so in touch with your emotional self that it just yeah. seems to flow out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that also it gets accessed when you're recording too. Yeah. It definitely, it, it, it flows through you in different ways when you're recording that kind of music. Um, yeah, for sure. In an 86 interview, I, I saw another interview with him back in uh, mid-80s, uh, he talked about how pop songs change over the years. And one of the things that changes is the length of the song. Um, he noted that when he started out in the late 50s, the average pop song was about two minutes long. And then, of course, he was talking about in the mid-80s, that that seems to have uh, blown up to... Uh, approximately four minutes in length. And now it seems to have gone back to, to two and three minutes. Um, I remember I'd hired uh, this great radio promoter uh, who's become a, a wonderful friend. And uh, it was a couple of songs that I was getting him to promote. And I sent one of them to him and he, and he said, um, you're going to have to edit that. And so what do you mean? He said, it's more than three minutes, 30 seconds. You got to edit it. It's got to be three minutes, 30 or less. So, so I went. I went back and I edited the song. Uh, I didn't want to, but I did. I left the, the I, I left the full version on the album, and we released the other mm. one as, as a single. Is song length something that you think about when you're writing? Not when I'm writing. I definitely try um, not to restrict myself that way. Yeah. Uh, that's. I think. I think that's where I personally believe you're kind of interfering with the flow. 
is if you do put yourself in a box like that, mm-hmm. I I think initially a lot of the time, me personally, I just let come whatever's going to come. Sometimes that sometimes that's two and a half minutes. Sometimes that's five minutes. Yeah. Uh, and then if there is editing that needs to be done after the fact, um, nowadays in the industry with modern music, it's obvious when something needs to be edited down, and that's totally fine. Like you said, we still have this opportunity. There's, there's no rules. Um, if, if we want to listen to what's popular and follow that path, we can. Um, but with, with there being no actual legal rules and it's more just about if people are going to listen or not, we still have the ability to do a radio edit version and keep a full length on the album. Right. right. So it kind of gives us that serenity as artists that we're not fully giving up that um, ability to share the full, the full piece of work. Because a lot of the times too, like the song that I'm going to cut down isn't actually that, that song doesn't sound complete to me anymore. Right. Cause all I hear is the other minute and a half in it. Right. Like where did it go? <laughs> you know? So, uh, and I think too, that's a very cool thing that Paul Simon does mention is the evolution is like, now we're back into this time where we're starting to see more and more of these big league artists releasing albums again. Yeah full-length albums yeah. that are 12 songs that they want us to sit down and listen to and that is making me so excited because the, the stories that people can digest and learn about artists which in turn allows them to learn about themselves because of the therapy that music allows you to do right it's so cool like it's just opening another modern door that i've i think i've personally missed for a long while and i i have a nostalgic connection with you know to listen to full albums sitting on my floor on a cd player what right Uh, exactly because i didn't have I didn't have Spotify to go on my iPod and right. scroll and all this. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I, I come by that, you know, legitimately because I'm that old, you know, and I bought LPs and I sat down and it was a whole, you know, it, it was um, a whole sort of scenario of going and finding the album first, bringing it back and then slicing it open and opening it up and looking at the liner notes and putting it on the platter and playing it, you know, one side, then flipping over, playing the other. And so you really miss that in this age of the single, you know? And so it's nice to hear that hopefully, you know, the album is coming back. Um, two quick questions before we jump out of this and we start talking about Haley Jean Penner. Uh, number one is, what is the one Paul Simon song that really over above all else really resonates with you? Diamonds on the soles of her shoes. Really? And why? Why? <laughs> that is one of the first songs that I, um, that I think like I, I cried when I really actually listened to the the songwriting of that song and the purpose of that song. Mm-hmm. And that comes into the lyrical admiration of that song but then you listen to the sonic and it's just there's something about the ability of a mixed gender african choir and these underlaying drums and these tones that they're using with their voice that um reach your soul in a really different way than a lot of modern music does Mm -hmm. and to this day i i still listen to that song like at least 
minimum three times a week. Wow. Like it's just what, yeah, I, I will never stop playing that song. There's something I find new inspirations in it constantly all the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, for, for an easy, honest answer, it just comes down to the fact that it makes me move. Yeah. It makes me feel something and I want to dance and I just, I feel good when I listen to it because I'm just relating and listening to the lyrics and understanding that, Mm. you know, there's just all sorts of people in this world. And it reminds me to also just like be kind to everyone because you never know what everyone's going through, right? Yeah, true enough. Wow. Um, for me, it's Bridge Over Troubled Water. I first heard it in oh, yes. when it was released. I, I don't remember if that was the late 60s or early 70s. Uh, bald the first time I heard it and it have bald every other time since for <laughs> yeah. 50 years. That's power of a song, right? I know when a grown man can make any any gender of human being cry at any age there's something powerful there (laughs) damn damn straight (laughs) on that note we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about Haley jean penner stick with us we'll be right back thanks for tuning in to the essence of cool as an independent podcast we rely wholly and completely on support of listeners like you If you like what you hear, please help keep us on the air and throw a few bucks in our electronic tip jar. You can find it on the front page of our website, theessenceofcool.com. We truly appreciate your help. Now let's get back to the show. We're back with Vicki Brittle. Uh, we've talked about Paul Simon, and we're about to chat about Haley Jean Penner, who you have a personal connection with. So, I mean, I didn't know who she was until you mentioned that you wanted to talk about her. Um, and, and now I've sort of discovered her, which is wonderful because she's amazing. How did you mm-hmm. first connect with, with Haley? I was connected with Haley through Alex Tannis. Mm-hmm. Um, Alex and Haley are good friends. Um, and they co-write together quite a bit, right? Yes. Yeah. They're co-writers, they're collaborators. And actually Alex produced, um, her album, People You Follow, that is definitely one of my biggest inspirational albums at this point in my life. Um, and, uh, yeah, I got the opportunity to write with Haley and meet her over zoom, unfortunately, just during the pandemic. Um, but Mm. we will definitely meet in person in the future. Uh, she's got a very similar sense of humor as me and, uh, we get along (laughs) very well over the airwaves. So, so yeah, I hope to meet her in person one day, but I, I just look up to her so much as, uh, as a musician and a songwriter and, oh, she is a hard worker. Like, she on Spotify, her credits of released music of not only just her music, but everything else she's been involved in and co-written in or just independently written for other people is 83 songs. Wow. wow. Yeah. And to have that kind of track list um, in this day and age is not only hard, but it's also mentally phenomenal. Like music is a very powerful thing to hold hands with and constantly work through emotions that way, even if it's for other people. Mm -hmm. So I just find it so powerful, the grind 
of like continuously experiencing other people's life experiences and writing that with them. And it's, it's a form of therapy in a way. And I think I admire that so much about her with the amount of collaborations she's available um, to see in her track record. On that note, a couple of things about Haley that I discovered on thank, thank God for Wikipedia. Um, she's the daughter of beloved children's entertainer Fred Penner, which yes. on its own is pretty pretty freaking cool. She's 36. She moved to LA in 2011, where she promptly signed to not just a public de- publishing deal, but to a record deal. And since then, she's been writing for and co-writing with. People like The Chicks, Sabrina Claudio, Canada's Lennon Stella, who we also know from the TV series Nashville, Charlotte Lawrence, The Chainsmokers, and you. What is it that you get from Haley as a collaborator that makes that collaboration unique? What is it that she brings to the table? Mm, I would love to write with Haley again. It's a dream of mine. I have only written with her once. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is something very, very raw about Haley that she is so unshameful about and that really comes through I think in a lot of her music the way that her songwriting crafts together is so unique compared to a lot of people and I think she has this really unique ability to dig so deep into the pain of certain experiences and that comes through in some of her music, like People You Follow or Smaller, which is, you know, speaking of eating disorders, there's just this extreme rawness that allows that wall to be broken instead of just saying, you know, the sky is blue. It's like, you know, it's the sky is seven other words. And that to me is the most just raw, honest way that you can write music, which is a reason I chose Paul Simon, but like Haley Jean Penner is really one of my most modern inspirations when it comes to songwriting because of that honesty. Right. And she, she breaks that wall when you even speak to her. She has this very powerful ability just as a human to make you feel safe in her presence, whether it's over technology or I'm sure in person. Right. Um, where you just feel comfortable to kind of be like disturbingly honest with what you're writing, which is where powerful music comes from. Yeah, no, agreed. She also seems to have the ability to cross genres. She writes Mm. with uh, EDM slash pop writers. She writes with country people. Um, Is it difficult to sort of jump genres when you're writing? No, I think that's actually part of the reason I really, really loved working with her. And it was like dreamy for me too, because I co- when I was collaborating with her and Alex, she she has that same visual of genres as I do, where she doesn't live in a certain one unless there's a goal to. So there's this ability to take sprinkles of inspiration from everywhere I find. So despite the fact that maybe we're trying to write a pop song, there's all these chord inspirations coming from like Paramore or, you know, there's this, I find there's like a very intense mixture of inspiration that comes. And I feel like I hear it in her music as well, whether it's purposeful or not, there's like a, a melodic, 
hand-holding that's happening with different styles of guitar playing and singing and, and soft and loud. And, and that's very interesting to be experimenting as well. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure how much opportunity you had just to chat with her during your co-write, but did she ever sort of allude to how much her father may have contributed to her songwriting? One of my like favorite things that Haley has ever done is written her book called people you follow. Right. (laughs) Which I actually oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I have read it so many times. Um, it's really beautiful personal experiences. It is a memoir. Um, I really encourage anybody who likes to get to know uh, artists on a personal level to read it. It is a really beautiful storytelling, um, journaling, really intense, kind of romantic and sad at the same time. But it also really lets you in on the way that she grew up with her father. Mm-hmm. It really is amazing to learn a lot of that stuff when, you know, she says things like when he wasn't gone and on tour, he literally still, like he was a very normal human. He did the groceries for the house right? when he was home. Right. He took them out on, you know, play dates. Like he was a very a normal dad. dad. Yeah. yeah, he was a very normal dad still when he was home, right. which is so cool to... um to read that experience, you know, and she isn't an only sibling. She has siblings. So, you know, it's, it's just very cool to read about that experience and how it actually affects her as a songwriter as well. Yeah. I read a couple of things just about people you follow is it, it's also, it's also the, the name of her album. Um, yes. But it's about, it's from, from Wikipedia. They said it's about her experience as a female songwriter in the music industry and the hidden toxic side of the business lena dunham of uh, girls fame weighed in and she called it a fucked up alice in wonderland journey down the rabbit hole of la's most subtly toxic industry and it's also funny brilliant coy playful and wise supermodel cindy crawford said both heartbreaking and humorous uh, a depiction of how we as women struggle to find our value through the eyes of others as a guy, and particularly as a guy of my generation, I, I find it really horrifying to know that there's still a lot of that toxicity around. In your own experience, have you felt that? Yeah, I've definitely felt it, um, whether it's independent or whether it's brought on by society. Um, but this industry does a really good job of allowing uh, the majority of the people that we see continuously and constantly um to be very manufactured and manicured in that way whether Mm -hmm. it's after the photo and it's edited and that's what we see or you know whatever lane that is in we are in an industry where um no matter how much we don't like it um especially the pop world is highly influenced by fashion and looks as well mm. um and i don't see that stopping anytime soon in fact i see it getting stronger in certain genres um the pop industry being being a big one just because there is so many also industry events that are centered around fashion and how you look and feel and now we have these slowly but surely 
beautiful movements coming through that are a lot of artists who just don't give a shit, which is kind of amazing. And that's what we need because it's going to influence other people to realize that that's not all it is. There's a difference between being forced to be a statement and desiring being this, this big statement, you know, mm. um, that, that falls highly into looking back on Lady Gaga's career is seeing someone that was so fashionably forced other than the music where whether that's fashion of the actual skin and bones or whether it's clothing. Right. Um, it's so it's in such a high demand and it seems to go through phases. And like I said, I feel as a woman that we are in a bit more of a comfortable free and like freeing space right now. It seems like a lot of things are changing. Um, you know, like Victoria's Secret is changing. Um, a lot of these brands are starting to use empowered women's music for their commercials. Yeah. Little things like that. But that's not where all the change lies, right? right. <laughs> that's not necessarily what actually changes everything. It comes down to um, people like Demi Lovato making interviews and documentaries and making people aware that there are still managers in this industry that force you to look a certain way mm. or maybe they don't force but they're so they speak in such a traumatizing way that you feel you must look a certain yeah. way or you're so praised when you do look a certain way that you don't want to go back to looking another way and right. it can also fully tie into personal experience right yeah. there can be so many personal things, underlying trauma, all of this stuff. Um, but I think the song Smaller by Haley Jean Panner is a literal storyline of what you can potentially experience when you're in high power of the industry mm. and a desire for someone for you to be the best thing that's ever happened to the world. Um, it really shows the toll it can take on the human body. And I think the lyrics in that song are just, they're, they're next level. Yeah, I, I think that she she sat in a vessel with herself that must have been so vulnerable and hard to sit with. And it comes through and it allows other women to, to feel with her and feel our own pain. And it's a really hard experience to even kind of like understand that women feel that way in the industry. Um, because I, I think there's a confidence that you can find in yourself that for me, it's come a lot with my spiritual journey, but I don't seem to have as much attention on people's opinions of my looks. Mm. And I think that can be really hard when it's constant pressure around you instead of having the opportunity to just think what you want. Mm. I'm so lucky to be with a label coalition that, that's the last thing they would ever think about. Right? right. So for me being a Canadian artist in the more folk Americana industry, I'm very lucky to not have that as such a worry because I don't necessarily allow it to be. I, I think yeah. it's just so disrespectful to have to influence people that way. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's really powerful for artists like Haley to be willing to stand up and say, piss off, this is how I feel and this is how you make me feel. And, you know, that relates with some of the people she's collaborated with, like the chicks. Right. You know, it's like shut up and sing. 
those kind of songs, like Haley has that same vulnerability to process things after the fact or while she's still healing and really just be raw and honest with it. And um, that's, that's fallen a lot into that part of the industry, which is the visual and what we see. Yeah. Is that changing? Are we seeing more women involved in the industry to help further the, uh, the cause of women in the industry? Yeah, I think, I think women are somewhat starting to realize that there's a strength that comes when we all have each other's backs. And uh, there's a strength that forms when you form an army so big and strong that no one can really fight it. Right. Um, I think, unfortunately, in a worldly matter, not in a music industry matter, there is always going to be high-end, powerful white men or white human beings that are just so power-hungry. I don't think their mindsets will adjust ever. You know, an example of that would be in a world sense, not an industry sense, is the previous owner of Victoria's Secret, an old man from Ohio. <laughs> like, you're ju- it's right. just a perfect example of, uh, unfortunately, there's always going to be that presence. But I think, I think what's happening more from what I'm seeing is the ability to quiet those voices is getting stronger day by day. Yeah. And uh, I think that's powerful. Yeah. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm heartened to see acts like the Chicks or Lizzo or uh, Peaches, um, people like that who are um, starting to dismantle, you know, or hopefully dismantling the patriarchy. So that's good to see. Um, 100%. What would you say to somebody who had never heard Haley? How would you describe her work? Mm, I think it's emotional. Yeah. That's one of the main words I would use. Every time I listen to Haley's music, for me, it's um it's one of those channels that I find myself in that I she's so honest with herself and her songwriting, it forces me to be honest as a listener. Yeah. And that is so such a crazy wall to break. And I, I think that happens um, every time I listen to her. And that's kind of how I would allow other people to understand what they're about to hear is an emotional journey. Because I think that ties into what she's about to say and what you're about to feel. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to more of her work and getting to know her, her better. Um, she's certainly a, a really interesting person. On that note, I'm going to wrap things up, but I, before we let you go, what's on the horizon for Vicky Grove? A new song by Yay! the end of the year. <laughs> and uh, I think right now we're just taking it day by day and stirring some stuff up in the pot. Thank you so much for the time and for being so open and honest. And uh, this has been a really wonderful conversation. Thank you for having me, Brian. I just, I, I just adore you and your energy and, and seeing you every time I get to. So thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. And ditto. I adore you and your energy and your songwriting and your voice. And I am so looking forward to seeing you on the grand stage one day. Ah, <laughs> are we manifesting things? Okay, we'll have to the next interview when I have my Grammy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
My sincere thanks to Vicki, particularly about our discussion on mental health, such an important conversation these days. Catch up with Vicki at VickiBrittle.com, CoalitionMusic.com, or on Facebook at Vicki Brittle, and Instagram at Vicki Brittle Music. Until next time, I'm Bernard Fraser saying please support local independent artists. <laughs>